Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of the Iga and Carlos Tennis Show. This is your host, Vanch. We are recording this um, halfway through Wimbledon, basically. The first four rounds have been completed for both Iga and Carlos. And uh, joining me today to discuss all of it is Damien Kust. Hey, Damien. How are you? How are you doing? And pretty excited to do another show this week. Um, hi guys. Yeah, I think at Rancaros we probably did this one after the quarters. Right now we're meeting after the fourth round. Both players are still in the event, which on grass, you know, maybe wasn't as much of a certainty as as it was at Rancaros. So, um, yeah, excited to talk about the the first four rounds so far for Igan Carlos, and then of course also about what's to come. Yeah, certainly. And I guess uh, let's start with Iga, the first. Uh... You know, when we saw her draw here, we basically came to the conclusion that, uh, you know, this is a very workable draw for her to get through this first first week, especially with Brad Omberg in the rear view. And of course, looking at, at just where she landed and all the big hitters and all the big names that could cause her trouble were all in the bottom half. And we did, however, get an interest, a very interesting matchup um, against Belinda Bencic in the fourth round. You know, someone who, uh, you know, has challenged Diga in the past. Most notably, it's the 2021 U.S. Open match, which, uh, you know, which is still in people's brains uh, because, you know, Benchish had just come back from, Benchish had just won the Olympics. She's a player who's pretty, um, pretty informed in that time of the year. And Iga was still, um, while she was a top 10 player, she was not, you know, anywhere near peaking or getting close to what we know, what we, what we know her now as just the world number one. But, um in this in, in this match specifically, um, tactically it was very, very much a big challenge for, for Iga to, to find her find her range from the baseline. Uh, also found herself quite often on the back foot, having to defend a lot on her forehand just because we know Benchich redirects and absorbs pace extremely well, um, and particularly down the line with her really flat hits, um, takes the ball very early and gets into that sort of crouching position where she kind of takes over from the middle of the court with, with her backhand. Um, particularly the inside-out backhand, uh, just, uh, you know, really, it, she's not necessarily a power player, but it's someone who Iga really has to use everything that she has um, in her arsenal to to get by. And we kind of saw that, we saw we saw her bring out the her best stuff when, when uh, you know, her game was under fire and she was down a set. She lost the first set and then she was down a couple of match points. But what were your just, broader overall like sort of takeaways from from that match and now that she's passed that test um yeah i mean when we were looking at like problem players we were mostly thinking of okay flat hitters but like ones that would actually go with a lot of pace into the shvantec forehand benchich isn't really that and maybe that's why she was a bit overlooked also the reason why she was definitely overlooked was the fact that between charleston and wimbledon she only played one match Listening yeah. to Elina Vanessian at Ron Garros. So, like, it, it wasn't certain that Benjic was going to get to the forefront. It wasn't certain that she was going to be in great form going into the forefront. But she, but she actually was. You know, she, uh, she did come through a very tough match in the second round against Collins. And yeah, by the time she reached the forefront, she was basically at the top of her abilities. Um, one thing that like um I, I have to say is that uh, it turned out that you don't necessarily have to go very hard into the Shadek forehand. But yeah, as you said, if you just if you're just equipped to handle that pace, which honestly very few on the tour have, um like very few on the tour have this sort of set of abilities. But yeah, and she definitely absorbs 
um, everything that goes at her and is able to still give you a very unpleasant ball, which uh, Shvionti had issues just, um, yeah, finding, dialing in her ground strokes. And um, most of the time, her response maybe wasn't great to it either. You know, she was trying to press a bit too much. She was trying to uh, be uh, like attack way too early, especially on return. So it, it was by no means a perfect match from Svantec. It was definitely a match that she played against an opponent who is, um, at least on grass, very unpleasant for her. But the way she handled, you know, the key moments, the way she handled the match points as well, which weren't unforced errors from Benji. It was actually just a couple of amazing points where suddenly Świątek had that controlled aggression, suddenly had that ability to like not go for too much and play with enough margin, but also stay aggressive. And um, you know, this sort of a performance, I think, is a real like um, you know champion stuff. Basically, that this this is why she's the world number one. This is why she she is winning so many events and. Um, I think uh, a lot of uh, Shiontek fans have been sort of missing the sort this sort of a performance where she is not the better player for the for the most part, but actually just in the key moments she steps up. Um, this is something that probably, especially this year, has been uh, for you know at at least in most um, cases kind of missing from her game that ability to problem solve and in the in the most important moment actually step up. Because uh, you know it was it was a pretty well known trend at the beginning of the year, especially that all of Shiontek's losses were like you know lopsided straight set, um, straight set battles. And right now she she actually pulled through um, a match that very easily could have been a straight set loss, turned it into a win. And uh, you know a lot of the time we've seen uh, players do that in the fourth, third round of the slam and go on to win it. I don't know if that's that's what will happen, but certainly, like I think, mentally, that this will make her even stronger um, for the remaining part of Wimbledon right now. Um, but yeah, def- definitely one of the one of the best wins for her. Not really looking at the quality what she uh, that that she presented, but like yeah, just at the imp- at the importance and uh, at the mental consequences. I think um, you know if we're doing like an off season episode at the end of the year and we're choosing. Like our favorite matches from Carlos and Iga, uh, this one will be one of the main contenders, I think. Yeah, very good points. And for me, I think this was, you know, this was the best match I've seen. I've seen Iga problem solve in uh, this year. So that's, you know, that that I think we can all safely say. And, you know, especially the, the point about, you know, either winning very easily or losing very comfortably, that was very much true until the clay court season but now really we've had two matches the Mohova match along with this one where she's actually dug really really deep and stayed relatively calm in the big moments and not you know not let sort of you know her maybe you know her outside emotions or maybe just lose lose that motivation a little bit to or that belief to uh, to to finally turn it around and win but it impressed me kind of how the return got better as she went along in the match because you're right like she was pressing quite a bit and she was um, you know, trying to do way too much. In fact, probably way too much more than she needed to be. She was playing overly aggressive at times yeah. on the return and not calibrating it correctly or measuring it. Just felt like she had to go for go for corners and lines right away on the first shot. And she didn't. Um, and you know, I think when when she was over six on break points, that's when we I, I sort of went into that tie break thinking this isn't great because 
she should have wrapped up the set already. She should have been in the second and she should have had all the momentum. But now here she is fighting for her life in this tiebreak. And, uh, you know, and right away she was, it was pretty clear that she was probably not going to win the breaker. So it was just about how does she respond in the in the second set. And she went up a break and then played a couple of loose points. Benchich, Benchich uh, you know, played well to dig out of a service game at 1-3 and then managed to break her back. And then all of a sudden, 5-6-15-40, and she comes up with, you know, one of the saves was a tremendous backhand winner, cross court, which, uh, you know, into into the open court. And, you know, I certainly think, you know, you know, Benchich had a look to be a little bit more aggressive, maybe on one of the second serves um, at, at at 30 40 she could have done a little bit more you know to and she kind of she kind of allowed Iga to dictate a little bit with the forehand but that being said she still had Iga still had to come up with the goods and had to produce that combination and under pressure and down match point that's a really really difficult thing to do so she, the fact that she she was able to do that and then actually carry that momentum into the tiebreak and her forehand really took over the tiebreak and that's when you realize like just the top spin that she has on her forehand because there were so many times where she was hitting that running forehand down the line and she was able to get just enough topspin over and up the net uh, uh, to where it was, you know, she was able to get that, she was able to get that side, uh, like almost through the court, she was able to uh, basically leave Benchich stranded and balls that would have seemed out, they just landed, they landed in because of the extra safety and topspin that she, she has with that grip. And with that grip, you have to be really aggressive and you have to really, really go f- really go for it and just rip it and that's what she did on on the first match on on even the first match point that she saved which wasn't a direct winner but it was a basically a forced error for Benchich and I think Benchich basically said after the match there's nothing I could have done differently and I played those match points very well and just credited Iga really and that's what it came down to I did think also Benchich's level on the serve dropped a little bit uh, maybe it could have been could be the arm pain and maybe it's just the fact that she'd never been you know physically uh, you know, she played a really long match against Collins and it's possible that she maybe felt some fatigue with the arm and all of that because she did have strapping on her right shoulder and biceps. But but nonetheless, uh, you know, it wasn't, it, there wasn't really much in it. I think she hit two double faults in the game that she got broken. And and then, uh, you know, Ego also did very well to fight off a break point actually at one all in the, in the third as well. So that was, that was another key game. And again, she, so all the key games basically towards the end of the second and the beginning of the third, that's when she really answered. And actually, I I realized also the last game of the match was not so simple because she was down left thirty, and that was another kind of big test. If Benchich breaks back there, then who knows what happens actually? So yeah, yeah you, you <laughs> mentioned um, you mentioned the second serve return, and I think like that's like the one area that Benchich maybe could have done better at. Yeah, and just just the fact that she yeah. wasn't aggressive on it at all whereas Iga was just putting in just you know just rolling in kick serves uh, I feel like if she um plays this sort of a serve against I don't know Sabalenka Rybakina it probably goes punished but you know we're not gonna see that until the final so <laughs> maybe it doesn't really matter but yeah on, on this one match point I think 30-40 the second one uh Bencic had a look at on the second at the second serve she was still like in in an aggressive position, I would say after her return, but yeah. just wasn't anything, you know, that gave her trouble. And yeah, that 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 the winner into the open court might seem easy because you know um, Benjic was so out of position. But actually, I was I think I was playing tennis the next morning and I missed a shot that was precisely like this, you know, backhand yeah. cross court into the open court. And I I remember laughing about it because I just remembered 
um, you know, that Iga made it last night. And um, it was actually pretty similar because the ball coming at you was actually pretty fast and, and yeah. low. So that's what makes it tricky. That's what makes the, the timing tricky. But but yeah, if, if, if Bencic has anything to regret, then it's probably just the fact that she wasn't too aggressive on second serve return. But um, otherwise, um, yeah. I, I would agree with her that there was basically not much that she could have done on these points at all. Yeah, definitely. She had a few, maybe she had, she might regret that she double faulted a few too many times, 11, and some some came in some, some were less, more or less big patches. But I also think actually, uh, you know, Iga being the really good returner she is, I was trying to figure out, you know, why was it so tough for her to... Mm-hmm break Benchic and you know why wasn't she able to do it sooner and I think I kind of came to the conclusion that on grass and with the way Benchic is able to kind of because she doesn't really she doesn't really have a kick serve right it's mostly like a slice serve it's mostly either flight or flat or slice and it it stays pretty low on the grass and it has that skidding effect and maybe she's able to hit the wide one very well and challenge the Sviantec forehand on the return and so I wonder you know if maybe one other thing that they'll she and her team will probably work on trying to add is like a few more block returns or like just, you know, something to like diffuse the pace a little bit rather than taking huge cuts. Cause that would, that that would help uh, kind of, yeah, like absorb the pace a little bit better on the return. And then she doesn't feel like she has to press too much, but, um, but it's a different type of serve. Like it's deceptively pretty well-placed and it's not, uh, like the second serve can be attackable and can break down for Benchich, and she probably has a few like limitations, especially on slower surfaces, which like that's why I always feel like, you know, the U.S. Open hardcourt swing or like the faster surfaces, which like honestly like three of the four majors now are pretty, yeah, pretty decently like quick and low bouncing. So like, you know, apart from clay, I I would think uh, yeah like Benchich is a top eight, top eight to top twelve player like on these surfaces. For sure. So it was even a better win than like the fourth round would indicate. Because as you and I were talking yesterday, you know, I I realized during our live stream that oh, she's number eight in the race because of those five hundreds that she won earlier in the year, and uh, she's yeah, like even though she missed the entirety of the clay season, it's uh yeah, basically like avoided a huge banana skin by not going out in the fourth round here. Yeah, number eight, as you as you said, that was pretty surprising to me as well but um certainly she she is up there you know she has been up there for so many years it feels like Benchich has been on tour for 20 years by now but that's just because of how how quickly she got there of course and how how big her splash was already um in um in in Canada of course and mostly at, at the beginning so that's also one of her favorite events yeah uh definitely someone that we kind of like we didn't overlook Benchich. i think everyone was expecting that Benchich could be the forefront opponent for iga it's just that yeah with her bar- barely playing no one really thought that she was gonna be this much of a threat but but yeah um it it, it did make it I guess similarly to Alcaraz, it was like a new layer of danger that showed up during the event. Yes. Something that we weren't really considering beforehand, but it actually turned out that there is at least one extremely tricky opponent in in Schwiontek's draw, uh, the half of the draw. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was definitely a parallel that I noticed as well because for Alcaraz, you know, Berrettini is not someone we were we yeah. were more looking at maybe Diminor or Zverev. Or even like Watanuki or someone like that, who yeah. could get to the fourth round. That 
be the potential danger. And then of course Berrettini also missed a lot of the most of the clay court season with injury, just like Benchich. And Berrettini had also beaten Alcaraz in the 2022 Australian Open in the third round in a fifth set tiebreak. And Benchich had also beaten Fiontech here. So there were there were some parallels there where like they really had to show, you know, how and why they are where they are right now, which is world number one. And they both had to come from a set down. So I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. And for the most part, because our two players are pretty high ranked, for the most part, the reign, although for Alcaraz having to play two days in a row once, but for Iga, I think that's been positive that she hasn't had too many disruptions because of the reign. And she's mostly been on a steady schedule where she's had to, where she's gotten a day off and she's been able to play. Uh, yeah. like Because she played all her matches on, on show cards, right? Or... Or did yes. she? I don't think she went off court one. I'm not, I'm not no. sure, but yeah, I think it was always court one or center. So it was either court one or center. I think she played her first. Her first match was definitely on center, and then the Martich one was also center. It might have been the. It might have, it might been, have been all been, all center actually. I think all four were center. Yeah, it, it might have been all center. Yeah. Yeah, um, Sorry, was, was, yeah, was was center. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Friday as well. Yeah, you're right. So actually, so, she she hasn't even gone off center. I think. Oh no, yeah. actually, no, no, no. Sorry, the the opening match she played against Lin Zhu was on on court number one. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, you're right. Okay, but yeah. yeah, basically show courts, and three in a row on center. So yeah. That's... So then rain doesn't impact you, and um, you that's are gonna right. be on schedule. Yeah. I think the way Iga was able to take out Cerebes, Tormo, and Martic relatively com- comfortable, although the second set became a little bit complicated towards the end for Iga. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it just showed like you do need a good amount of power to still <laughs> to still make Iga uncomfortable on grass because just variety alone is not going to be enough. And, uh, you know, I thought I thought potentially, you know, Martic could do a little bit of both, but it was somewhat what, what I expected where, you know, maybe one set would get a little bit tricky and Maybe in the other, maybe maybe Iga would just come out flying and play some really good tennis and use her footwork to with the slice backhands, and then maybe Martin and then Martin started to get a bit more aggressive, and Iga had a little bit of a weird wobble at five three in the second set uh, of that match where she yeah she made a lot of errors and Martin was able to get back, but then she quickly refocused, reset, got the break back, didn't panic, so that's something new that we're 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 seeing in the last few events and. Just looks like she's embracing the pressure a lot more, which is good to see, like just mentally. Um, yeah, I mean, Martic has such a wide variety of tools, right? And also at the same time, she has the serve and the plus one forehand shot making. So, like, yeah, basically, basically she, she's not the easiest opponent, I think. But in the long run, it was still um I mean, we're not going to be looking back at this match after Wimbledon and saying, you know, that this was a key round or something. It was still fairly comfortable. Uh, but yeah, most of I, I feel like recently these sort of players have been able to like maybe trouble Iga, get a few games of her, but that's like the extent of it. Um, you you kind of need to put more pressure on her to 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 prevail, and I guess that's been the case since 2022, basically. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and then you know, yeah, I, I I guess I would just finish it by saying you know the last couple of points against Benchich from 30 all. In that mm-hmm. that final service game, and then we saw the celebration at the end. And to me, that was kind of a celebration of both joy and relief, kind of at the same time. Just uh, relief because she could have been out of the tournament, and then just just the joy that, like, wow, she's actually like all the hard work has 
like paid off because for the I think we talked about this like she actually fully dedicated herself to the grass yeah. where this year where it's like okay yeah like she's a legit contender she can actually go all the way and it you know and there's no streak or anything like that to contend with like it was last year so it'll be interesting to see like a kind of looking ahead to the quarters and uh, and I I guess we could talk about the quarters mm-hmm. first uh, which is which is going to be played tomorrow so you know you guys going to be playing on center tomorrow at one uh, thirty. yeah I think she started I think she's I think yeah, she I think starts she has, yeah yeah she has that at one yeah she, sta- she starts center court action tomorrow yeah yeah for sure tomorrow and as in Tuesday which, you know. right and she's playing Elena Svitolina which you know is an interesting match I think they've only played each other once which was in Rome 2021 and that was yeah that was uh, that was a semi-final it was a was it a, no, it was a quarter quarter, was a quarter, quarter yeah. as well yeah and that was yeah two and five for um Spiontech. uh I think yeah in that tournament if I remember Svitolina had come off of a win against um Muguruza at the time uh and then you know it seemed like and Rome is that kind of a tournament where Sri Lina had done well she's won a couple of titles there 2017 2018 and I remember this this stretch for Iga also because the last time she saved match points she went on and won the title which was in in Rome in 2021 against Krachikova she saved those two match points and one of those was with a spectacular drop shot that I still remember like one of the one of the best drop shots she's probably ever hit in her life <laughs> to save save a match point and then go on and win the win the title and actually this is this and the this match and that one is the only time we've actually seen her come back from match point down but but i guess Svitolina to me has been has been pretty impressive just what she's done with her after um maternity leave and also everything going on obviously with the war uh, to come back so quickly and make two major quarterfinals back to back plus win a title leading up to Roland Garros, but it's also just the way that she's playing. It it seems like, you know, the intensity and the the will is kind of there every every single point because of just like that added extra motivation and just newfound lease on life. But also just generally her forehand is much bigger. I think that's what stands out. It's like her forehand is just, you know, way more aggressive, way more potent. And it, it feels like it's more purposeful and she's doing a lot of damage with it particularly down the line and just being way more aggressive with it because she's obviously always been a very good kind of halop like player to me like very similar in terms of counter punching and defending and good depth and you know good good kind of re- returning and good hand skills like she's very much been an accomplished player in that regard getting to number three in the world and all of that and i think she's probably playing the best tennis that she's played just from being a from being a more offensive minded so that it'll be interesting to see how she approaches that match against my my gut feeling though is that Iga having withstood the test that she has right now and just with her ceiling being a lot higher honestly than Svitolina I could see it being uh, I could see this being a like Iga will go into that match a considerable favorite even though Svitolina is you know beaten Nazarenka for the first time and is playing some of her her best tennis because she will have to play something pretty out of her skin, I think, to get by the defenses of of Fiontech, particularly in the form that she's in right now. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that Svitolina has been like braver in her comeback, and you know, it's very impressive what she has done. But also, like all the reasons why she hasn't won a slam yet, I think they might show up again. 
and they kind of yeah. did at the French already, where she she was not able to threaten Sabalenka. Fairly tight match, but still she wasn't really able to threaten her. And um, yeah, most of the time when she runs into a player with like an extremely high upside, um, just showing up with some good form on the day, she is unable to respond. Maybe the the new slightly more offensive mindset kind of changes that but is it going to be enough for her to you know dictate against Iga or like even stand up to her power I don't think so I think this is a match of that Świątek should be feeling more comfortable in than than when she played Bencic you know there's just not that much on the ball that Svitolina will feed her um, it should be easier for, for Świątek to attack here and like be as dominant as she usually is so I'm not really overly like worried or not 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 overly scared of Svitolina yeah. from Świątek's perspective, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, phenomenal achievement. And especially, you know, in, in Birmingham, the only warm-up that Svitolina played, she won two games against Linda Fruchvirtova. So um, at least from that perspective, I was not expecting it at all. She's also a former Wimbledon semi-finalist. You wouldn't really say that her style is most effective on grass, but she has achieved huge results basically anywhere uh it was not a um well both her both the semifinals that she played including the one at Wimbledon against Halep whom you mentioned at, at Wimbledon they weren't close at all and yeah I'm guess I'm just sort of expecting something like that again that uh Svitolina you know has a good run at the slam and then she runs into a more talented more powerful uh opponent and yeah just just isn't really able to handle it um, so that's why I'm not really thinking maybe of Svitolina as like a serious threat to win uh, the whole event. Uh, when it comes to the match, you know, it would require like a bit of an off day for Świątek. I guess everyone's assumption is though that after the Benjic win, she should be a lot stronger mentally coming into this one and and should probably get through it. Um, I mean, if 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 someone was to say that Benjic is the toughest opponent that Świątek could face until the final with how her draw panned out, I would definitely agree with that. So so I think if um yeah it, we would have to see something special for from Svitolina here uh, if if Świątek is just playing you know at a decent level. And I'm not sure she has quite that. Uh, but yeah, definitely enjoying the 2023 version of Svitolina more than I was actually enjoying her game in her prime, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm much more locked into her matches and just more more on that journey with her. So that's that's certainly been been different. But yeah, I, I completely agree about the, yeah, just the, the class of the opponent, I think, is, you know, we might just see why she hasn't won a slam. And it's certainly... Um, going to be fun to see how that pans out. And then obviously she's in the same section as Marketa Vondrosova and Jessica Pegula. Pegula, of course, getting to the fourth round. I'm getting to the quarters of all four majors now. Um, and, you know, fairly comfortable draw for her. Um, obviously, Iga is very familiar with that matchup. Uh, and, you know, Vondrosova is a little bit tricky. She presents some different, different problems. She's not someone you would have circled before this tournament, particularly with, uh, you know, with the uh, with Vekic being in that part of the draw and also Kurumatova, but she she won those two matches pretty impressively and is now in the in the quarters and has a decent chance. So, uh, but but honestly, you know that's that section of the draw is is the is the weaker one by all accounts because yeah, the bottom half is still has Sabalenka and Rabakina and Jabor. So, uh, yeah, I mean you would you would expect Iga to come through and get to the final. 
Yeah, I mean, I like both matchups for the semis. You know, Pegula, she has been so dominant against. I know Sydney happened. And, you know, yeah. we, we've spoken about it many times, but there are a lot of other factors at play. But at least it kind of gives us the info that, you know, when Pegula um, just really sets her mind to it, she can come out and, like, at least um, annihilate the Shiontek second serve if it's not aggressive enough. So yeah. at least there would be some sort of uncertainty in this regard on the fast court. And, you know, Pegula definitely is at, at, her, mo- at her most effective for me, like, when the, when the rallies are basically, like, ping pong laser uh, laser type of stuff where uh, both players are just hitting very early and um very after early after the bounce so maybe um that's some something that we could look at and Vondroshova, i just don't know still if like her heavy topspin lefty style can actually work on grass against Świątek. and my my guess would be probably not it, it hasn't really worked on clay against Świątek either and um, on grass, I, I don't think that's a really troubling matchup for her. So yeah, at this point, you would expect her to get to the final, which um, we probably, like, we've, we've talked about it, I don't know if on this show, but um, if she gets to the final and like right now she beats Svitolina and let's say Pegular Vondroushova somewhat comfortably, we actually will have very little info in regards to her playing, I don't know, Jaber, um, Rybakina, Sabalenka, um, yeah, yeah, we'll just not really have anything that could help us uh, dissect how she's gonna fare face against uh, how she's gonna fare against them on grass, because that um, increased motivation that you that you talk that you were talking about a couple of minutes ago, uh, we just cannot really compare it with anything from the previous grass seasons, and um, yeah, the mindset for me guys just so much different this year, and that the ability, the willingness to learn that I just, yeah, she, she just hasn't faced a player like that yet. But of course, yeah. so far, she, she actually has to get to that final. And, and that's where, uh, when we're going to have to, um, you know, be thinking of of the matchups. At Wimbledon, it doesn't feel as set in stone that she will get to the final anyway. But um, yes. yeah, she, she is the main favorite to do it, of course. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think I mentioned this before, but Ribokina, especially on this surface, mm-hmm. You know, the way just the, the easy power that she has off of both wings, the easy first strike tennis that she plays combined with, you know, the underrated movement and the, the um, you know, compact strokes and how early she's able to just rush Iga right off the return and serve. And that's half of Iga's losses this year have come against Rebekina. So just the fact that she doesn't have to play her until the final, I guess, two and a half. If you, you know, if I guess you could say Rome is like half, but like, you yeah. know, not really because it's like a retirement. But um but just like if you know, if she were to beat, I I think Sabalenka it's more of like a, it's like one of those back and forth type matches where it's like, you know, just the the quality of tennis was so high. For example, in Madrid when they played each other and uh, and and then some of their recent matches and even Stuttgart, which Iga managed to win relatively comfortably. It's just it's like you know there's more fluctuations like just mentally and physically with Sabalenka, whereas I feel like Rubakina is just so even killed, deadly, and just going for the kill, um, like just ice cold assassin type against uh, against Fiontech and just the recent history and all of that. So I feel like that matchup, especially if we get that that like, you know, I I can't say that Iga would go into that match as a favorite right now. But uh, but definitely, I think you know. Let's just wait and see how these first how these quarters and semis go, and then I think we really have to think, you know, because we 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 like you said, we really don't know. Other than the fact that we just know that Shvantec has never lost a major final, 
she's never um she's usually she, she has a very good record in finals and all of that but yeah i mean on grass power players kind of a different story like a, a new match new day so yeah pretty much yeah she's taken care of business pretty well so far but uh now uh, i guess is a good time to transition into carlos because particularly the i, I mean the first round he played jeremy shardy and we didn't learn too much there uh you know he had to first two sets very comfortable and then second set he was down a break but managed to managed to come through that the the second round against Alexander Muller, Muller actually played, you know, I don't think Alcaraz played nearly his best tennis in that match. Muller played probably, you know, better than what we expected, certainly. And, you know, Alcaraz had some tough moments, but it was all about that tie break where he just raised his level and then and then came through pretty comfortably and there was there was never really any doubt. But the match that I do want to focus on is the third round against Nicholas Jari because obviously Jari's best results have come on, come on clay. He's been a top 20 performer this year. Um, he's been borderline you know top 10 12 and win percentage and he's just put together really good runs even on even on grass he had some big wins and it, it was just very dangerous i think off of both wings for for alcaraz because alcaraz was having to do a lot of running a lot of defending a lot of just instinctual getting returns back into place he really had to use a slice backhand which came came through for him and he almost it almost got pushed to a fifth set because jari's ability to just uh, you know hit you know attacks attack alcaraz the second serves and and put him under fire right away like just really just he's a really tall guy just goes for he goes for a lot of power on both on both sides it's very easy power as well and he moves decently well actually for his height too and i think he just i think it was really challenging for for alcaraz because he was really he was actually really forced to come up with his best tennis and any sort of dip you know we could have maybe potentially seen an upset it was uh it, it was it was quite tight for for a lot of the match and the second set, you know, you know, Alcaraz had a set point to take it, two sets to love lead, but but honestly, Jari really just took it away from him and and played played extremely well. And then and then obviously you have the fourth set where he was up a break a lot of the time. And then uh, I think three love up, and you know it was just Alcaraz really had to wrestle it from him, and it was it was almost four hours, so it was pretty physical too. But I just felt like it was a good test for for Alcaraz, like especially changing directions and movement, um, because a lot of the times, yeah, he was he was having to just go through the slice and just do enough to get errors out of Jari, which eventually came, but it it uh, it, it didn't come sooner than it didn't it didn't really come you know that soon. Like Alcaraz really had to push for it. This is what I mean. So. Yeah, I don't know what it is about, but like this year, all of these big servers who previously struggled on grass because of the low bounce, they're actually doing well now. So you've got Chris Eubanks, obviously, the, the main story. You've got Nicholas Jari. Yeah. You've got Yannick Hanfman. Uh, I'm sure there's one more example that I'm missing right now. Um, that, that was someone else. But um, yeah, basically, I'm not really sure how all of these guys suddenly turned the corner on grass. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we've we've spoken about it before. But Nicolas Jari, um, I think on clay courts, his baseline game is just a lot better. But if you have a big serve, you can still succeed on grass. If you have big weapons, you can still succeed on grass. And all of these players, you know, had the weaponry. They always had it. They just weren't able to produce basically any. Oh, I was also thinking of um, 
Maximilian Marterer, who who made the fairground here, and he all his his um, grass court results were also pretty poor. And, uh, and yes, it also shows that the lead ups leading up to Wimbledon, mm-hmm. the courts are like really fast, and then you get to Wimbledon and it feels like it's a lot slower. Um, very possibly, and and you know we we cannot really compare the bounce. I suppose I haven't seen any stats on that, but maybe the bounce is also more manageable for them. Um, it, it's possible, and and yeah, as you said, Wimbledon feels slower than than most warm ups at least, uh, so that probably plays a part as well. And it's yeah, possible. I think mm-hmm. Bosch might be a little slower, but uh, not not, know, not every single the... not every single one of the warm ups is 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 that fast. Yeah, yeah but like most but of like, them are. As like a... Halle, for example, you can't really compare. Like you you watch Bublik and Rublev and Wimbledon yeah. and Halle, and it's like. Night it's like day. a whole, yeah. It's, it's like yeah. a whole landscape of the grass season. Wimbledon is definitely on the slower side, um, so so maybe that's the reason, as you as you as you said, and um, that this this makes players like Jari a lot more dangerous. Of course, this was also the second time Alcaraz played Jari this year, and Rio yes. it was also a fabulous encounter. Um, yeah. Alcaraz started showing that injury that was, of course, more um, more important in the final later on. But he still managed to prevail. So yeah, I did not expect that was going to be uh, that this was going to be such a fighting effort. Uh, in a way, maybe even tougher than the match that we saw today from him. I think for the, sure in the forefront. And, yeah. But I think actually that that prepared him really well for this match against Berrettini in in some ways because he already had a similar type of prototype within him. But the difference is Berrettini can actually hurt him on the backhand. Yeah, which, uh, which Jari can. But actually, you know, the, just the fact that uh, I also thought in the first set of the Berrettini match. Today, which uh, you know, Alcaraz won that three six six three six three six three, and he had to save a break point in the start of the second set. Berrettini was actually hitting his backhand quite well for the first set, and a little bit, but I, you know, it 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 it, it, it still seems like with with the slice and just the fact that he that Berrettini can't really hurt Alcaraz on his second serve, the same way that Jari can because Jari has a reliable two hander. He can take it very early on the rise. And no problem, and he and it's it's like right away he's on the offensive, and and he was to and Jari was moving well, and he was just you know he was just a lot more battle tested. Whereas Berrettini, it still felt like okay, he played very well the first three rounds, but he wasn't really going to threaten from the baseline in the same way unless he just got forehands, basically, or did enough with the return. And I didn't feel like Berrettini did enough on second serve returns. A lot of the time, he was just accepting backhands, which you don't want to do on the deuce side. Um, on Alcaraz's second serves and be hitting hitting backhands. It's all, obviously also a little tricky because I feel like Alcaraz has, has Alcaraz's serve has really been good this tournament. Like he's been hitting, like you would have expected against Berrettini, he would hit mostly to Berrettini's backhand on the serves. But it felt like actually Alcaraz was going down the tee quite often on the outside and he was going out wide on the deuce to open up the angles and maybe, you know, get to Berrettini's backhand faster and make, you know, make Berrettini kind of anticipate the backhand but then go the other way so I thought that was that was pretty smart um from from Alcaraz in, in many big moments so um, what did you make of kind of Alcaraz's serving and returning no I mean he, his serving has been absolutely yeah just what it needs to be I think he is getting a lot of out of his out of his first serve on grass which sometimes on clay maybe during the clay season we kind of forgot about you know how how much his serve has still improved and like is still improving uh I think it will be a huge factor going forwards as well like if he if he is to beat let's say Djokovic in the final he needs that serve to be firing 
and it's possible we've seen performances when yeah it's it's just really kind of unstoppable even especially in queens maybe maybe not so much uh, so far at wimbledon but it's been okay uh, the first yeah. serve return um tends to be kind of spotty with with Alcaraz but we cannot really say that about this match with Bertini I suppose because in the last three right, sets uh yeah he was just but neutral, I agree like in the first couple it of so sets, well. it was mm-hmm. it was a little bit of a problem in that he had break chances and he wasn't taking them because like his just the control on the backhand side especially on the ad side I felt like it was uh you know not not perfectly calibrated a lot of the times or he was trying to flatten out a ball that he would probably be better off like putting more spin under. But it's like really hard to sit here and say that when Berrettini is serving like 130, 135 yeah. right at his backhand. Like it's, you know, I don't know even know what the best returners in the world would really do at that point. I mean, he took a set off of Djokovic in the 2021 Wimbledon final, for instance, too. So it's, you know, he would be able to hold easily against most players. But just the fact yeah. that Alcaraz actually, I think I saw a stat in the beginning of the fourth set uh, Berrettini and hit like I think 27 only 27% of Berrettini's first serves were underturned which is like a really really low number for Berrettini particularly throughout the whole, yeah. whole tournament which I can't so remember numbers. what the number was so for well. like Hurkacz uh, for Hurkacz against Djokovic at the end of the match but there was oh, certainly yeah. a point in this um, in this encounter where Hurkacz says uh, 60% of his first uh, serves were yeah, unreturned that, that sounds right yeah, that I, that, that was like sense. set two, set three, maybe. So I'm not yeah. sure what it was until uh, you know at the end, but that kind of shows you like the difference. And yeah, um, I yeah I have to agree that Jari was probably a tougher opponent for than for Alcaraz than Berrettini on the day. Of course, not really something yeah. we would have expected, but uh, it, it's kind of a cliche. But yeah, just just being able to target that backhand from Berrettini, knowing that there's not going to be anything coming at you that's remotely aggressive from this side most yeah. of the time. This is this just really helps you feel more comfortable. Um, that's also something that people exploit against Tsitsipas on grass, where you know you can just approach to that wing and you know that probably like in 90% of the cases he's not going to hit a tough pass. Like he's just yes. gonna have to roll it back uh, or try to slice it. You know, Bertini at least has that amazing slice, but just continually slicing it toward to Alcaraz is, is probably not going to give you that much success. So yeah, on the no. day, um, Jari actually turned out to be a more dangerous opponent for Alcaraz than Berrettini, which I guess it makes sense when you think about it, but still, you know, just the difference in, I guess, the class of the players and also with their, their grass pedigrees, you would yes. expect probably Berrettini to, to do better. I would say this this definitely wasn't uh, Mateo's uh, fair best match of the week either. No. Uh, no. But yeah, just just to neutralize the the first serve of Berrettini like Alcaraz did in the last three sets, I think it's still a major win. And um, we we mentioned this, but like the, this was not an opponent that we are expecting in the forefront after Stuttgart, after he got off the court crying against Sonego and just looked so far um, away from being ready for Wimbledon. Even if this is his favorite part of the year, you know, he he, pulls, he pulled out of Queens, which he won last year and also won in 2021, or did he, I think, right? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, so so if he, if he pulls out of that, he is clearly um, still trying to, you know, heal up some issues. So I, I know why we weren't considering Berrettini as a factor, 
but by the time he actually used the fourth round, yeah, this was this was this new layer of danger for Alcaraz as Świątek as Benchic was for Świątek. And to handle him like that, I think, is a massive win for Alcaraz, regardless of like, you know, whether Berrettini played his best match of the week or not. Um, and we were talking about Alcaraz also having a very good draw, maybe not as because on the on the men's side, the top side actually isn't weaker than the bottom half. It's just that Djokovic is in the other half. And that's why yeah. we were saying that, that Alcaraz, I mean, it, it was guaranteed, but like Alcaraz still had a pretty decent draw, but that was mostly because um, lots of the contenders that were around him, like the Minor or um, Dimitrov, he has beaten just very recently. Korda as well, who uh, lots of us, uh, including like both of us, we were expecting him to get to the semis. So like he had some... Uh, very recent wins against against all of these guys. So it was still a pretty decent draw, but yeah, getting Berrettini suddenly in round four, the runner-up from two years ago, seemingly unstoppable in the first three rounds, you know, unbroken going into the, the fourth round, uh, that definitely spiced things up a lot in the Alcaraz draw. So uh, yeah, huge win for him to get through this. Yeah, for sure. And he also kept his energy levels pretty high when it was too all in the fourth set. And they had to come back after the rain delay and the match was indoors. That's when you thought, oh, maybe the momentum might shift a little bit for Berrettini if he keeps holding and this gets to a tie break. It could have been more dangerous, but actually he didn't spend that much more time on court than, for instance, Runa did against Dimitro, who was playing on court one. And I guess that's Alcaraz's next opponent. And this is kind of a matchup I've been yearning for, for um, you know, since they last played in Paris, because those kind of matches between Runa, Sinner, and Alcaraz, those are the ones that you want to see the most, like in the next 10 years. And we basically haven't got any data because, like, let's be honest, Paris, you know, Alcaraz was hurt since the middle of the first set. I don't really, I don't think we can read that much into that match. And then the next gen finals, 2021, you know, was a total mismatch at the time because Runa was was not the player that he was that he is now. And Neither, neither was Alcaraz, but you know, like it, you can't really tell much. It was just games to four, and it's not, uh, not, not really like anything that should even be counted in the head-to-head. But like this match, uh, there's there's a lot riding on this. Like Wimbledon quarterfinals, Runa coming back from a set down against Dimitrov, and kind of, uh, you know, uh, Dimitrov kind of fell apart a little bit physically at the in the fourth set. The game that he got broken and, and Runa did well to come back from a set down and you know make things really really uh, interesting in the tie breaks and just I was watching a lot of the Alcaraz match but I just kept flipping in between you know Alcaraz this Alcaraz and Runa mm-hmm. they were playing on different courts but I you know I definitely thought uh, mentally I knew that Runa was going to have the edge on all the big big moments just because of the scar tissue for Grigor and just like some wo- mental wobbles here and there. And I knew that Runa was just going to get in and get, you know, make it extremely tough for Dimitrov to finish points and make it really, really physical. And so far, like Runa in in, in majors, that's kind of been the thing where he's like played really physical third round, fourth round matches. And then he hasn't had a whole lot left in the tank. Uh, quarterfinals, particularly at the French Open, for example, where he came out really flat and just played a very bad first two sets against Rude. Um, obviously, if he does that against Alcaraz, it's not going to be a recipe for success. Uh, at all more like disaster but I wonder I wonder just how the dynamics play because these two are six days apart obviously Alcaraz is the favorite going into the match but Runa obviously feels like he has he belongs and he's you know the best player and so there's 
there's quite a bit just psychologically, even just before we get into the tactics. Yeah, uh, such a fresh matchup still. Um, we've seen Alcaraz Sinner so many times. We haven't really seen Runa Sinner that much, and we also haven't seen uh, Alcaraz Runa that much. As you said, the, the two encounters that we had for them so far, uh, yeah, they, ju they just haven't really given us that much info. Of course, the next-gen finals, you know, Alcaraz was just such a beast at, and Runa is also... I mean... They are they they were born within a week of each other, but it it has to be said that like Alcaraz is ahead in his development. He kind of always has been, and that yeah. that that showed at the next gen finals, of course. Uh, right now, it doesn't have to at all. Um, we're probably past that stage where where that difference is really significant. And yeah, Paris uh, Alcaraz uh, retiring, of course, and generally not the strongest part of his season last year. So um, yeah, super excited for this one. I think it's gonna have, you know, it, it has to bring us a lot of ex exciting shot making. Could be a case that, um, like, it could be the case that Alcaraz scenery, you know, this matchup has been so, um, in a way, even maybe baffling because when they play the rest of the tour, Alcaraz is so much more dominant. But then they fight each other. And it's always so tight, it's always so close, and Sinner always pushes him. And I think Runa might do the same. Um, the the win against Dimitrov today, I don't know if it really helps him, like tactically against Alcaraz, but he definitely problem solved really well. He knew exactly when to make Grigor play with the forehand because he kind of knew that um, that he wasn't gonna get punished. He kind of knew that when 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 Dimitrov is going to have to just press um, overhead a bit on the forehand side. Mm -hmm. He's probably not going to be able to get to the net as smoothly as he as he had to do uh, to win that much, and yeah, I I think it was an excellent win for Runa, which should give him a lot of confidence. Whether it's gonna be uh, any any impact, whether like it's gonna have any impact on him physically, that's very hard to tell. You mentioned the the rude match at the French, you know, against Serundolo, he was already struggling and like barely managed to finish the match. Today we didn't see that at all. Maybe the grass, maybe the like slightly shortened uh, matches, and also the uh, lesser physicality required to to win. Maybe that actually helps him. But then yeah. again, of course, the the Dimitrov match was very physical. Um, you you cannot really deny that. Uh, but Rune was the one holding up better in that. I think, uh, especially towards the end, Dimitrov's um, athleticism and the footwork, they were kind of wearing off. So, um, I I still think it's a it's a pretty amazing sign for Rune. And just let me let me say this: like if Alcaraz has to beat Berrettini, Rune, Medvedev, and Djokovic to win a slam, that would be um, you know probably one of his best wins. Ever like looking at his whole career, if he was to pull off something like this from the forefront, uh, that would probably be one of the best wins of his of his life. Period. Yeah, that, that would be like one of the toughest routes ever to uh, yeah winning, winning a title. Not even mentioned Jerry in the third round it was even tougher than Berrettini. But like this match against. Runa, I also wonder about Runa's forehand. I think we've talked about this, that like, mm -hmm. you know, he's not quite sure yet what to do on the grass. Just watching him at Queens on the on that shot, like how offensive to be on it. Because a lot of the times he is just kind of trying to prolong rallies and put a little bit more height over the net and just get his opponents in different uh different type of positions so he can maybe use his all court game and just do different unpredictable things like come forward and try to finish with a drop shot or just 
uh, you know accelerate randomly when you're not ex expecting it like it's just a lot of random point construction right now and you just don't really like it just doesn't really have that same clarity like for instance when i look at alcaraz like there's you, you know that he's going to be really aggressive on the plus one you know that he's going to be aggressive on every single ball like and for him it's about like reining it in and keeping the enforcers at a minimum whereas for runa it's like i wonder how aggressive he'll actually be particularly with his with his forehand yeah, you're right. I mean, we we have no idea how uh, Rune will approach this match, which um, I guess has been a bit of a theme this year that, you know, he's just showing that um, one time he can just come out and, you know, blast the ball. And um, especially when yeah. he's maybe struggling physically, he's just trying to make every single point so short and he's faring okay in that play style. And at the same time, he also has matches that he just wins with just some outrageous defense. So... Uh, yeah, I have no clue how he's going to approach this match. Like, with... There's like three different, three or four different types of runas in every match. Yeah. Like, there are some times where he's literally, I think Darren Cahill was saying that he's like Ostapenko on the return sometimes, and he's just <laughs> taking it super early and just taking huge rips like he would in practice. And then there's other times where he's just dropping back like, you know, six feet and just rolling balls over. And you're just like, okay, now you're going to try to play like Medvedev. And before you were trying to play like, play like Ostapenko, and, and they work. Like, sometimes he'll get two or three games. Or something like I remember in the Rome final where he just basically went into this cannot miss mode and it worked against Medvedev for like three games and then he was serving for the second set at five three but then like he just got so tired from that playstyle I think it just wore him down so much that then he started going in the opposite direction and he just hasn't really found like that happy medium yet that's why his matches are so up and down that's why he gets embroiled in so many you know longer longer matches and then also I, I think he's just not afraid to like just try new things like that's one thing about him he's just like like he'll he'll go for the second serve like no problem he's double faulting whatever like he, I think he's more like thinking okay two years from now one year from now you know it will it will maybe pay off and you know I'll, I will actually be able to win more efficiently but like right now he, he does still seem kind of like raw and uncooked and it's like whereas like Alcaraz seems more or less like a finished product already like at his at his age, at least however complete you can be at, at 20. So, yeah, I think that first, it goes back to the first point that you were saying that Runa is still very much in the earlier stages of his yeah. development. And honestly, so is Sinner. But every time they've played Alcaraz, like it's, you know, it has not been, you don't really see that gulf that you do like versus the rest of the field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I still think that we are like we have no clue what Runa is gonna play in two or three years. Where yeah, Alcaraz, we just kind of know that he is going to be um, probably just uh, maybe polishing up something, you know, uh, getting rid of of maybe just yeah being rough around rough around the edges still in some departments. But like Runa, um, yeah, in three years, I mean, he might have a completely different play style to right now, and it wouldn't be really surprising to anyone. He is also, of course, more hampered than physical issues than than Alcaraz yes. is um, still, and even than, than you know, than, even than Alcaraz or Sinner, who also have their fair share of of health issues every once in a while. So, um, yeah, it's it's yeah, gonna be Alcaraz, super it's exciting. More like long, it's more like layoffs that cause him to win and miss like an event or two, and then for mm -hmm. Sinner and Runa, it's like mid match retirement. Like for Sinner, it's like yeah. mid-match retirement, or oh, it just got sick again, and then for and Runa, Runa just like, the, the cramps every every yes. single time, yeah. But yeah, the, this <laughs> match, this this is part of why this match is so exciting. That um, it's just going to be such a massive glimpse into the future of the matchup, which right. could be the leading rivalry for years to come. Uh, we'll see yeah. about that, but uh, but it's very possible. So 
So yeah, that's why it's it's super exciting. And actually, like we have very, very little knowledge about this one. So um, yeah, it's just going to be so exciting to dissect it. Yeah, for sure. And then the prospect of facing either Medvedev or Eubanks, you never know, <laughs> in the semis, like that's... Yeah, I mean, I mean, just like this route, like it's 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 like honestly, this second week of this major, like we're seeing so many good matches. It it seems like at least on paper that mm-hmm. you know it seems almost too good to be true. Whereas like you know in the beginning of the event, if you had told me like oh six of the top eight seeds on the men's mm-hmm. side would get to the quarters, and yeah. all four seeds on the women's side would get to the quarters, like that you know on the women's side that hasn't happened at Wimbledon since two thousand nine, and it hasn't happened in a major. Since 2013, Roland Garros, where you had like Azarenka, Sharapova, Serena, basically, you know, players like that. And so, so yeah, like, I, I mean, we had some chaos here and there. Like, we had Fritz losing, we had Rude going out, we had, which was pretty expected. And then we had like, you know, Shapo, like, still injured. And there were like some minor upsets here and there. But it, it, it seems like for the most part, these players, like, it, they actually held up pretty well and they were able to play. You know, not that dissimilar of a style that they do on other surfaces, and it to work on on grass without actually that much experience. So I think that's that's like kind of a big takeaway that it's not that different the grass than it used to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, since they changed the the grass in like what two thousand two, um, it certainly uh, is just much more welcoming to all kinds of play styles and. Yeah, perhaps we're seeing yeah. just that. and um, But a lot of the players, like Rune didn't win a match on grass in 2022, right? So he still needed like a year to, to get better at it. Um, no. It wasn't natural for them instantly. Like, of course, Sinner famously never won a main draw ATP Tour match uh, before uh, before his Wimbledon quarterfinal last year. But yeah, yes. it's, it's definitely much easier to adapt. And maybe that's also what we were um, seeing with um, that Jari, Eubanks and et cetera example, that all of these players who previously did not feel comfortable on grass, you know, Eubanks as recently as like last month said that he basically doesn't feel good on grass. Yeah, <laughs> and, he was texting and... like Kim Kleisters and he was like, I don't know what to do. Like, how do you play on this thing? Yeah, he he basically just had the big serve, but his baseline game was just a big mess. It's still a yeah. bit of a mess, you know, but um, he is making it work, and yeah. a lot of the players are, despite maybe not um, being so comfortable with the with the low bounce of the surface. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the the tricky thing is just the low bounce, and yeah, like the movement changing directions. A movement as well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. like slipping, like in, you know, when you're recovering back to the middle, that's. That's always very uh, unpredictable when a player just takes a tumble, like in yeah. the middle of, yeah. Basically. Even even Dimitrov, who's like obviously an expert mover and uh, yeah. one of the best athletes in, in the sport, you know, today he was down on the ground like 10 times. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, he was doing a Fokina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but I think, I, I think with that, I think that's a good uh, kind of recap and analysis of the first week and previewing at least the immediate matches. So I think... Uh, that's pretty good for both Iga and Carlos that we're in this position and we're able to say all this stuff right now, you know, like eight, nine days into the tournament. And so far it's it's held up and yeah, it's it's pretty good, I think. So yeah, this was uh this was a good episode. Pretty, pretty fun, nice, short, snappy. Um and yeah, I think our, our listeners will have just enough time to digest this before the quarterfinal matches come underway. 
Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try to get this uh, get this up before the Świątek against um, Svitolina match. Um, so you should have it, you know, Tuesday morning. Definitely, it should be up there. And of course, Alcaraz is playing on Wednesday, so uh, there is not going to be that much of a scheduling issue. Um, if if Świątek loses to Svitolina, it kind of loses some of the relevance. But uh, if it, if that doesn't yeah. happen, then uh, then certainly this is going to be at least for for a day. It's going to stay, um, you know, just right on, uh, right what you need in your tennis podcast listening activities. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, thank you, Damien, for for joining me. Uh, and yeah, this this was fun. We'll be back with more recaps. After Wimbledon, you know, we we will have to record another yeah. episode. Oh no, we will have to record another episode. <laughs> oh no, we get to sit here again and talk about tennis for forty five minutes. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean yeah, no, but yeah, seriously, we're we're pretty excited, and yeah, we look forward to more episodes. And yeah, thanks for tuning in and do uh, rate and subscribe and leave us uh, reviews, comments, anything, suggestions. Uh, yeah, we're both pretty open to them as this is still pretty pretty much the early stages of the podcast and so far the feedback has been pretty good from our listeners and yeah this has been pretty a nice fun project to do <laughs>